Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Joe McEnroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. And our guest this week, returning, Stephen Graham. Hi. Stephen's a lecturer at Goldsmiths University. Goldsmiths College. <laughs> Let me finish. Let me... <laughs> this week we've got the sixth volume of our South London playlist. The alumni, what we call it. Now that's what I call alumni. <laughs> They're... Ten acts that went to university in South London. Important years, isn't they, Stephen? You know, it's not a tenuous, like, they're not they're scraping the barrel now. No, no, these people, no. they might, you know, some of them formed bands in South London. Others studying music. Others doing other things, but we'll come through that over the course of the show. Hopefully, Ben Barlow would have set us up a Spotify playlist, Steve, for all the tracks. But we'll put a YouTube playlist on the website southlandhardcore.com so you can listen to the tracks there and we're going to chuck in we're going to cut a few bits in if anyone from a record company is listening and we've violated your copyright (laughs) 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 we apologise and that uh, you know don't sue us track one blur end of a century she says the sand's in the carpet dirty little monsters eating all the muscles Picking up the rubbish Give her effervescence She needs a little sparkle Good morning TV You're looking so healthy We all say the ones are feel We wear the same clothes Cause we feel the same And kiss the dry lips when we say When we came up with this idea, Steve, to do this playlist, the first thing in both our heads probably, and most people's head, would be Blur, wouldn't it? Well, it definitely comes into my head because I work there. So I hear about them all the time. Oh, they talk about a lot still? Well, we had an applicant day last Wednesday, which is where people come in and be, uh, interviews to come into the music degree. And, uh, you know, you talk to them about why they want to come to Goldsmiths. And they go, oh, you know, this and that, the course looks good, blah, blah, blah. And uh, lots of famous alumni. You go, oh, who, who have you heard of? Uh, Damien Hurst, uh, Blur, uh, <laughs> and then someone else. And you go, yeah, that's great, but none of them are on the music degree. Yeah, I was going to say, none of them study music. But... but they do also usually know KEB and James Blake, who we're also going to discuss, so it's fine. So, yeah. Blur. Yeah, I think Goldsmiths is the most represented university here. And certainly from people that we kind of discarded, like KEB, she's been on a playlist before. Linton Quasi Johnson went to Goldsmiths. He's been on a playlist before. Volume 1, so if you go back, episode 3, I believe, Steve, is that correct? Really early, isn't it? Early days, yeah, we thought, right, get music out the way early. <laughs> so are you in the process of sort of knocking out the next day in Auburn? Sorry, Graham Coxon. <laughs> nice choice of uh, verb there, knocking out. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, in the music programme, it's become very famous, the pop music degree anyway, Um because there there's aren't many... There's a specific many... pop music degree. Yeah, there's... Oh, yeah, one of, so our, got... uh, one of our artists studied it, Steve. Right. We've, yeah, we've got, so we've got three degrees in, in the music department. We've got computing music. music <laughs> 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 got... ah, that's good, Steve. You've got to say. Very good. That's very good. Use that if you will. Um, we've got computing music, where right. it's a joint thing with the computing department. We've got um, music, which is just in reality classical music. Right. Um, and we've got pop so we've got three programs, but they overlap, and that's one of the things about starting to get the PR speaker. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, boys! Like, like, come on, this is a serious university. No, but listen, listen. <laughs> Sorry, college. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, so the t- we have three degrees, and they, they overlap a lot. Everyone shares class. You know, they do courses together, or they call modules nowadays. They do modules together. So if you're on the classical degree, you'll study stuff with the pop people. This is kind of relevant because James Blake was on the pop degree. And the pop degree has only been going about 10 or 15 years. It's really, really famous because amongst other kind of pop degrees in third level, like BIM, um, Brighton and other ones around the country, ours is the only one, one of the only ones that has a kind of a um, really robust academic side. So you do lots of essays and coursework as well as the kind of fame skill stuff. What was BIM, by the way? Brighton Music. Yeah, it's a kind of a rock school 
it's kind of a fame skill where people go on. So we have that element, like we have the practical element, the creative element, but we also have the academic side. And we also have a big emphasis on contemporary classical music and we have an electronic music studio, Delia Derbyshire and Daphne Orham and all have done stuff there. So um, we have a whole Daphne Orham archive um, and we have all her Oramics things. So it's a really interesting place because it has all these different um, strings to its bow. So in answer to your question, um, I think we are probably in the process of producing new Damon Alburns and Graham Coxons because there's lots of little indie boys who fancy themselves moving <laughs> in that direction. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What's the Delia Derbyshire link? She went there? No, she didn't go there, but oh, she... she her off the playlist. As far as I know, she... You know Daphne Oram? I don't Similar know. figure, involved. similar kind yeah. of um, British woman electronic composer, 50s or 60s, and they work together. Um, I don't know if... Delia Derbyshire ever actually came to Goldsmiths, but you know these links are often tenuous, and universities jump on them because yes. they're selling points. As we'll find out. Yeah. Worth pointing out that Dave Roundtree uh, studied computer science at Thames Polytechnic, which is now Greenwich University. Yeah. University of Greenwich. Don't get pulled up on these. That's where uh, Natasha Benningfield went, isn't it? Ah, oh, Stephen, you're just throwing out all the. <laughs> How many have we got left? You've not spoiled. <laughs> Damon Alburn did a part-time music course there. Graham Coxon did fine art, and Alex James did French. No, but Damon Alburn did an action because he didn't do the music degree. He would have done it. No, he did a, a a part-time music course. I don't know what that would have been. Well, but. we have lots of kind of they're not they're not extra departmental, but they're kind of extra degree courses where they're not part of the normal curriculum. Yeah, there yeah. people can come in and there's a choir. There's a, you can learn about music technology. So it's kind of further education type stuff. But they're so not electives, they don't sort of count towards your course. No, they're not. No, I know somebody did a counselling course there, but they weren't studying. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, yeah. So it might be one of them. But I thought he did a, I thought he did a degree besides that. Did you know? I don't know. I don't know. You're okay. the employee. <laughs> Just going back to Dave Roundtree a minute. He's a fascinating character, isn't he? Yeah. Stood yeah. as an MP for Labour twice, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. And uh, lost both times, unfortunately. Lost heavily. But like he was—he studied computer science, as I said, and he now like he directs animation, and like he's also a practicing solicitor, and he's got a pilot's license. Yeah, like he's campaigned against prosecution for file sharers. Tyler's. He is, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Is he still? When they tour, he's there, isn't he? Yeah. 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 I guess he would have been. I saw him a couple of years ago. Yeah. Where did you see them? Hyde Park. Did he look tired? Did he at least look tired? I was so far away, Steve. So, So end of a century, Stephen. This is one of your picks, isn't it? No, I was going to pick another one, and then you two wanted to pick that. I think it was me. Stephen with a V, sorry. Stephen with a V. (laughs) One of your picks, Stephen Walsh. What did you want to pick? Uh, Coffee and TV, or... Oh, yeah. The Universal. Right. End of a century is great, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this is is my favourite kind of blur. The sort of Baroque pop. Mm-hmm blended with very sort of modern concerns and sensibilities. This is the sort of stuff that I like. You're not into it? I am. I just, I don't know, with Blur, I love Blur, but there's always a pose going on. Whether it's Damon Albarn later on with Gorillaz, where it's explicit, or whether it's Blur Blur, where they're kind of taking on the American thing. I don't know, there's always this pose. And with this song, they seem to hit this, I guess, sweet spot for some. But for me, it was... It was verging on to kind of, I couldn't really handle it, with Park Life and with um, The Great Escape afterwards. I don't know, with this and with things like Charmless Man, it was just too British. It's just too kind of falsely state of the nation, really kind of tenuous cultural observations in the lyrics, I mean. Um, musically, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, but I don't know, if I feel like it's all a little bit kind of, uh, music and lyrics. I feel like it's very on the nose or something on the nose. Exactly. It's a bit heavy-handed. Not. I have a lot of time for it, and it's it's fine. But something like the Universal, I find much more. I buy the Universal, where I don't know if I buy this. Well, that's See? good because it's in every advert. So <laughs> now, the Universal is great, and it? it's easy yeah, it's to so forget. Isn't it. Now, brilliant it is. See, lyrically, I enjoy this mm. because, yeah, again, content-wise, it's the sort of thing I like from Blur. As you say, it is very British, it is very observational. And you can argue about how measured the observation is, mm. but this is what I like rather than, as you say, with, with a lot of the poses, they seem entirely false, where, you know, things like Song 2, and it's just very much, you know... You know, it's a good song, but that's not the Blur I like. And the, the thing I love about this song is 
Another Blur song that I have really uh, like is For Tomorrow. Off of, oh, well, that's the best Blur song. Yeah, and I, but let's think, like, lyrically, I always think of this as being almost like a sequel to it. You yeah. know, for Tomorrow, you've got this couple, and they seem like a young couple, and he wants to have hope, but he can't have hope, because mm. he knows the future's going to be the same as now. And for me, what I love about the song is it feels like you came back to this couple, and nothing's changed. And it, it, and it is this, the whole, and as you say, in terms of like heavy-handed lyrical content, it's the millennium. Let's uh, yeah. write about it. So let, let's write about the millennium, and that is very heavy-handed. But as I say, maybe if I if I didn't think of it in terms of for tomorrow, I wouldn't enjoy it so much. But I think they really complement one another. But as I say, that's, as far as I understand, there's no direct link between the two songs. That's just something that I feel about it. Yeah. Well, this is about him and Justin Frischman, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, she says there, there's ants in the carpet. That seems to be yeah, ants specific. ants in the carpet. Dirty little monsters. But that was, that was a thing that happened. Yeah. They had yeah. But then it moves into we all say we want to be alone. We kiss with dry mats because we... Oh, that's well, I really like that line. We kiss with dry lips when we say goodnight. No? I, f- I find that... I just I find that it. so... Why did it do because that? Because it's, it's passionless. But I they're, like, they're like withered husks kissing. I can't even imagine than... a relationship with such a lack of passion you can't moisten your lips to kiss your lover. Imagine. Imagine. That's the horror that he's uh, uh, laying out. But that feels like because I know, I don't know, that feels like more of a kind of a speaking to the nation type thing. You know? No, I don't know. We're well, in for this me, that's a, moment I, I, know, I think that's a really sort of telling moment of intimacy. Yeah. No? No, it could be, but I feel like the, the mode of address is wider than... Oh, absolutely, him, yeah, it's very relationship. isn't it? It's, it's like, no, but it's like, he's. I feel like he's kind of saying, oh, we're, we're all doing this at the moment, we're all so jaded in Britain in 1995, whatever, we kiss with dry lips because none of us are sincere or real. I just don't buy any of that. I mean, fair enough, you could say, well, it's about their relationship specifically, but in the wider context of Blur... He's known as someone who wants to take the temperature of the nation and put that into a song, Charmless Man, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like I reject the assumption that he can be the universal spokesperson for the nation at that point. I also reject that. Well, you think it should be Liam Gallagher? (laughs) More so than Damon Albarn, yeah. I think so, because Damon Albarn, I don't know, the presumption that you can be this middle-class white boy from London and speak for the nation, I don't know. I don't buy that. If, but you know I absolutely oh, love Blur not even in the mix is he just, uh... <laughs> I love Blur I love Blur maybe I'm just in a, in a mood today with it because the things I said about poses and all the rest of it there's certain sanctioned kinds of poses in pop music Lana Del Rey gets a lot of stick because it's not a sanctioned inauthenticity whereas Kanye West or any kind of pop maybe artist Iggy Azalea Iggy Azalea, well, it's not quite a sanctioned. She doesn't no, that's not saying. Like she gets a lot of stick. Because yes, it's not exactly. A so there's so everything's always a pose in, in pop music, and it's always a play with characters and so on. And there's certain kinds of sanctioned authenticities and inauthenticities. So I'm in a way I'm kind of going against, um, going against what I maybe say on a different day because I do love her, I really do. But um, this song and this is kind of why I, my instinct was not to pick this one because I knew I'd be a little bit testy about it. I don't know what it is. I just. I get annoyed by the, by, like I said, about by the lyrics, by the false kind of looseness of the persona. You know, he says, oh yeah. But then, in terms of the shape of the song, it does build to something else. If it was just. I find it quite cynical the way it uses musical musical language and musical kind of constructiveness to, to, to create this kind of weird, cheap narrative about the nation or something. I don't know what it is. Like the fact it moves from the. Well, I don't know. It's quite effective. You know the bit where it suddenly speeds up, the harmonic rhythm suddenly speeds up, right? It's like, we all say we want to be alone. Yeah. And then back to... So you, the thing is being chopped up less. It's been chopped up a lot and then it's chopped up less. And it's really effective. But again, I kind of find that a little bit cloying or on the nose or something, musically as well. as Musically, I'm a big fan of the fact that it builds this crescendo. But the lyric, the final lyric that it's building towards, is mm. it's nothing special. So you've got this huge bombastic sound. But him. that's a that's that's a false. That's a false. Um, I don't. I, I think that's. Is it, Stephen? I, yeah, I don't know. It feels, uh, for me, particularly given the fact that it is dealing with um, the idea of the millennium, and there was at this point, obviously, you know, huge plans in place. The the dome was being built and whatnot. Mm. And it what you know for me, the, the end of that song is him talking about we're making these plans for this arbitrary date 
you know I mean? That's the thing, isn't it? We're sort of like spending millions, if not billions, and as a nation being encouraged to think about, you know, Millennium, uh, Y2K, you know, it was it was this huge sort of false... It's early days, though, isn't it? He would have called this in like 1993, I reckon, wouldn't he? No. I mean, it came out in 94, that's why I say that. <laughs> Just minus a year, in it? Right, right. Safe. But do you know what I mean? I thought this was 95. Park Life, not no, 95? 94, man, 94. Oh, okay, right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true, but I feel like that line hangs a lantern on how much Damon Alburn really thinks this song is special. And I just thought, <laughs> like, you know, I don't buy it. Right. Track two, Claxons, Gravity's Rainbow. From 2006, I think Mercury winning album, wasn't it? Myths of the Near Future. Jamie Reynolds studied philosophy at Greenwich University. And oh, they've all been to Greenwich University. Yeah, so far. <laughs> two out of two. Well, and, and no, in a way, two out, of, forward. two out of seven so far, isn't it? But um, yes, and they formed in New Cross as well. He doesn't finish the degree, though, is that right? Did I read that correctly? Uh, I'm not, I've not got it written down. Okay, I don't but I remember when I when, uh, kind of came across them on MySpace, they had, I think they had like New, like, you know, the Claxons, New Cross, if I believe, if I remember rightly. So they were obviously based there. I think I say on the website, they had uh, his philosophy degree. A little scan of it <laughs> underneath. Photographed him in the mortarboards. Frames behind him. <laughs> yeah, I love this. And say it probably would have been my favourite single of that year um, and, but I understand people don't like the Claxons yeah. I'd never heard the Claxons before I'd heard of the Claxons but this is, this is very, and there's a few tracks and a few artists here mm. that fall into this thing where I wasn't really listening to a lot of new music I think when this is coming out I'm just listening to the fall and nothing else just like really digging into the back catalogue narrow it down Steve why don't you <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah I, and I, I didn't enjoy this no, you're not. You missed the new rave, new rave at the new, time, didn't you? That's the problem. That's the thing. I was still don't old. go back and listen to Hadouken, whatever you do. I was still hooked <laughs> on the old rave. That was the thing. I, I, I've got one note here that say the lyrics sound like someone who has dropped out of a philosophy degree. Yeah, yeah. So going for it, <laughs> but no, like, you know, it's got this kind of synth bass on it, isn't it? Or is it a real bass that they've just synthed up a bit, Stephen? Probably a real bass, isn't it? Uh, it sounded like a synth bass, but could be either one. And uh, yeah, he's split the vote. These like full set of vocals over the top, which are kind of deliberately badly done, should we say? Oh, generous. No, nah, it is, isn't it? I mean, yeah. not, like, it's not meant to sound like a studio. Again, track, it's, the, it? it's the quasi-looseness. It's the blur. It's, there's very much a blurism about the blur, blurry and type um, middle class, just blur. I've got oh, a bit good. of a mess in my notes. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean... I don't think it is a mess. I don't think it is a mess. They've gone, they've done exactly like they've intended to make it sound like that, haven't they? Okay. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like See, I the heard, vocals. Maybe are... if I'd heard other songs from them. No, but yeah, that's maybe. the thing. I've got no sort of. Do you know, you probably know. Um, you know, know they've yeah, covered not over yet. Golden scans. Are they covered not over yet? It's not over yet. It's not over. Not over. Not over. Not over yet. This is the thing. I'm still on old rave. And Atlantis Twin Zone, which you would hate, Steve. So, Atlantis. Uh, 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 uh. It's, we had this kit Casio keyboard at home for a while. It was someone we knew lent it to us. And, like, it had, they just used two, you know, Atlantis Twin Zone. Uh, 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 yeah. uh, uh, uh. You know, like when Ross makes that record and yeah. friends. Very much like that. But what a great episode. I wasn't watching Friends, I was too busy watching Dad's Eye. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you said a minute ago. Reading the lyrics, it's it's kind of obvious that it dropped out of a philosophy degree. To me, like think of the titles: Atlantis to Interzone, Myths of the Near Future. Mm. They didn't drop out of a philosophy degree; they dropped out of a J.G. Ballard degree. <laughs> it's ludicrous, it's a pension, isn't it? Yeah, there's a load. I kind of love it, but literary heavyweights, and they're like, "Well, we'll have that title. We'll just grab yeah. that." Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Do you get anything out of it, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I was kind of a soft spot for them for some reason. I've never had spent much time with them I've never wanted to but every time I kind of come across them I think oh you know they're trying 
<laughs> Steve thinks they're trying also. Find well, with them, hindsight, I, I think trying. I should have listened to other songs to get a better idea about them. Saying, but I just didn't enjoy this enough. No, to I mean, with me, the first time I ever heard this, it just completely, like, it grabbed me completely. Mm. And uh, I just used to play it constantly. And, like, there's a lot of energy to it, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, there's so much energy yeah, there, yeah. yeah. And that's what, there's another track coming up later, which was. You know, you'll probably... Maybe... Another Claxons track. I've only listened to one. <laughs> no, there's another track. I won't spoil it now, but there's another track which I suspect might fall into that. Oh, this is derivative indie music we don't like. Whereas, you know, there's this area of derivative indie music I do like. And if it's got energy, I just find yeah. it goes a long way. No, it's true. When something has energy... And I think it's also a very different thing to you organically stumbling upon this song or discovering this song or hearing this song. And then choosing, whereas like for me, it was just like set reading. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. oh, I've got a new thing, I've got a thing. And I'm like, coming into it cold, Different no concept. set of criteria. Absolutely. It's yeah. difficult, so, isn't it, with these playlists, man? It is. Like, and it is yeah, yeah. interesting sometimes. I, I do make the effort to, I'll sort of read, oh, read around the band. <laughs> and it, it is interesting, like, there are times where, particularly if I'm, I'm intrigued by an aspect of it, where I'll sort of listen to other songs yeah. and sort of go, oh, is that a pattern? Is that yeah, a thing? Yeah, yeah. Is that a thing that's developed? But with this, it just left me so cold. I was like, all right. And, you know, my notes are a bit of a mess, which is really sort of quite slack on my part. But No, but you, I don't, if you're not, like, if you don't like, if you listen to this twice, say. No. Well, that, yeah. maybe that might be a problem. That's bad, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, if you don't like this track, you're not going to then go and go, you know that second Claxons album is it's all right. <laughs> but, but do um, you listen to this track? What do you think of musically? What did I think? Like, because there's a lot of reference points here which seem kind of a bit obvious to me. It's like you said, it's kind of, you can see the, you can see the, what it's derivative of. Yeah, no, I, I, I've written like rave pop, high voice. These are the things I'm getting, very surface things. But even new wave stuff, it's... it's yeah, I guess. You know, but, and then Arctic Monkeys and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, it seems to be in that ballpark. But, and that's the other thing, as I say, this is very much a, a sort of a, a dark ages for me musically in terms of other contemporary acts. When I worked in Waterstones in Oxford Street, we had a lady working. I don't know if she might even listen, Vanessa. She doesn't say her name, should I? I know Vanessa. <laughs> I was going to beep that Irish. both times. Oh. Yeah, she's Irish. So we leave I've never home. met Vanessa. But she was very people. rude to people. To a point that it was hilarious, and at other times it was extraordinarily awkward at the till. Just so rude to people, like, like this is this is exact this is a, a exact no. Hi, whereabouts is your travel section? Uh, over there, where it says travel, and they should look at you and go like, and like, you, you just give, give you like uh, these people. Yeah, yeah, but it was like it was sort of involuntary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she was once so rude to the, the tall one out of Claxons. It was just Jamie. So she heard the music. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie <laughs> Yeah, she was just like the one from Greenwich University. What's his name? Uh, Jamie Reynolds. Jamie Clarkson. But I'm at oh, I've got it here. James Wrighton <laughs> married Kieran Knightley. The little one. Oh, he's still looking at He's, he's a handsome guy, isn't he? He's I think I once saw the other one, the third one. I saw him with um, Lovebox from CSS. Oh, yeah. Coming out the back of the coronet. But they are really save part the, of that. Save the coronet, isn't it? That's what you want to be focusing on. I mean, I think the first thing I think of when I think of the Clarksons is London, Pete Doherty... Camden, Naughties, that whole yeah. celebrity scene—they seem to be really wedded. Were into they? That. Were they a part of that? Yeah. See, I, I, my imagining of them from the very little that I've gleaned would have them completely apart from that. No, no, no. I wouldn't have no, 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 no. I'd have them sort of like hanging out. No. Well, it's the nature the of rave, isn't it? It's a communal thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You're not yeah, but I don't see them hanging out in the libertines. Out. I see them. No, of, yeah, that seems a bit of a, no, but not stretch, but no, but are you saying like the scene, the larger scene, rather than? They're going out. The on no on. fielding thing, you know. Right again, I wouldn't place uh, them. Oh yeah, no fielding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, because it's that kind of uh, glow sticks and. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Kind of. Camp. And you wonder why I'm not involved. <laughs> <laughs> Love a glow stick. You were, at that point in your life, Steve, you were wearing a top hat and tails to work. <laughs> <laughs> Is that correct? Was <laughs> that, that true? That might be true. Track three, Jamie, J M E, Jamie, and the track is the same name. I'm JME, my name is tattooed on the crime scene People don't know how to test me, I've been doing this from 2003 I'm a big white producer, sick MC I can even sing in key, I'm a genius Unfortunately You will never be like JME, you will never be like JME You will never be like JME, you will never be like JME You will never be like JME, you will never be like JME You will never be like JME, you will never be like Another University of Greenwich graduate Received uh, first class honours in 3D digital design. He's from Hackney, grew up in Tottenham, studied at Greenwich, as he says on the Supports Leicester City Football Club. He's a vegan as well, isn't he? I, I wasn't excited by this song. I, I, I 
didn't particularly like it, but I was excited. I didn't realise he was one of the people behind Boy Better Know. Yeah, the main one, isn't he? Yeah. I like this. I like how smiling it is. Like his uh, Twitter profile picture. Oh, yeah. He's just got an extreme close-up of his face, isn't he? And that's where I knew him from for a long time before realising he was even even made music. Because, like, UK hip-hop is, you know, with the exception of Dizzy Rascal, just doesn't come into the mainstream, really, does it? Mm. Well, there's a lot well, of, kind of well-known grind people. There's bits and pieces. Are they? Like, yeah. Wiley. Wiley, Kano. You get, like, these most... Yeah, yeah I suppose. But I know what you yeah. mean. And also Dubstep is hugely in the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah, Ske- yeah. You mentioned Skepta there. I mean... Skepta's not in the mainstream. No, no the mainstream's not. That's is what I mean. Like, yeah. Well, he's well, certainly not in the mainstream. No, no, no. I mean. I knew the name, but I didn't know the music at all. So what did you think of the track, Stephen? I liked it. Yeah, I liked how smiling it was, like I said. There was a brightness to it. And yeah, like to all of his stuff. I think. Yeah, and it's it's kind of I guess you'd call it late period grime because this is only a couple of years ago, isn't it? It's 2011. Yeah, right. So it doesn't have the kind of raw v- kind of ferocity of some of the earlier productions. It also seems to be much more American in, in its sound. It sounds like a trap song, you know, you know, trap. Mm. It sounds like a trap song to me. The low bass and the kind of um, slow moving drums and so it's, sonically, it's it's quite different to. Earlier grime. Yeah, it's very polished, isn't it? It's polished and it's kind of... And, and that's not really what I like with grime. I yeah, like it a bit grime is nice when it's ferocious and, yeah. and alive and just kind of animated by some weird energy that seems out of control. This doesn't seem like that, but at the same time, I liked its mood and it's kind of... Yeah, I liked it. I was fascinated, and this is the thing that's always fascinated me about sort of modern UK hip-hop and specifically grime. Um, just reading about his origins as a producer, like mm. he, he made early tracks on Mario Paint and the Game Boy Camera, because these devices and these applications would have tiny little ridiculous chip tune things. And it's you know there's the whole thing about Dizzy Rascals. Well. Yeah, it's the, always this is this is what these guys did. You know, they, software or eight bit stuff like that. And the guys, yeah, made. I mean, he made the record on a PlayStation, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, or just yeah. worked out a lot or, of things. You know, and, yeah, it's yeah. funny. I still can't and it really is, and process it, that. And that's another thing that I really love about grime music. There's bits where you're like, you listen to this song, and as you say, it's really ferocious. Yeah. But there's this thing sort of, not quite buried, but just sort of underneath it all. And you're like, I swear, that's just a level from Mario. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just this odd little, and it is, it's this chip-tune, plinky-plink thing that... Yeah, I, I don't know, I just find it fascinating. And, and it, it was interesting talking to the guys from uh, Fateway Polytechnic a couple of weeks ago. We were sort of like looking at um, a keyboard and sort of messing around with yeah. it. And it is this thing where you do have a generation now that have grown up entirely with having devices that give you chunks of music in a way that didn't really yeah. happen before. Yeah. You know, you've got a machine. And, and also the fact that it's so easy to adjust things like, particularly tempo. You've got two arrows, one's pointing up, one's pointing down. And you can just like ramp it up to the do you know what I mean? And and uh, but just as a child, you know, you, this is a, a generation that's had these things to sort of play, but that hasn't happened historically. You haven't had a device where yeah, up and down arrows. No, but do you know what I mean? It's fairly new, isn't but it? very. It's not a guitar. It's not a yeah. thing where you have to. You have to learn the basics. You have to learn. Oh well, if you learn, if you master the fundamentals, yeah. then you can move on to this. Then you can do that, and you've got to do all these stages before you can get anything that's like a tune. Whereas they're like, here's a tune. All right, can I mess about with it? Yeah, you can mess about with it. And things like the Game Boy Camera and Mario Paint would have had just very basic beats, but suddenly you can change the pitch. Yeah. You can change, and then suddenly they get Fruity Loops. And then they, they get like, you know, uh, actual uh, production programs. And at this point, the idea of changing the tempo of a piece of music, the idea of changing the picture of a piece yeah. of music is natural to them in a way that it hasn't been for generations before. And I think it's fascinating. Absolutely. Technology always does create aesthetics. The two things are hand in hand. It's like with the amps and the Who and the Kinks in the sixties, and they started cutting them, and then suddenly you've got heavy metal. Well, people who heard last week's stuff on Hardcore uh, with Manfred Mann on it, he makes the point, Stephen, about um, not having tracks, not having to play in time, being the biggest shift yeah. in music in like sort of recorded music history, which was uh, I'd never even thought of it. But well, I'm, 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 I'm aware of the difference between the two things, but of it being such a shift. Mm. I mean, it's part of a wider movement of kind of de- what's often called de-skilling, where in order to hear music before recorded technology, you have to make it, and then it becomes um, a spectator um, event rather than a playing event. And then when you have layering and tracks and production, it becomes removed from the kind of live moment and becomes much more about a, a kind of a sonic 
Uh, it's a great work of the imagination, isn't it? Mm. So rather than playing the song in terms of we've got this instrument, we've got this instrument, suddenly you're like, but what if we could? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and it's like Man from Man was saying, like when the guy's playing the harmonica and then stops to sing. Yeah. And they go, well, what if we had the harmonica playing and the guy's still singing? And they're like, well, he's only got one mouth. Well, suddenly. Yeah, the possibilities are just multiplying. Yeah, and then particularly. Necessary. Yeah. And, and then you get things like, you know, the Beatles with, you know, 64 tracks and they're just sort of like throwing all sorts of things. Well, the Beatles only ever had eight. Tracks. But didn't they do a thing where they like layer onto it? Well, yeah, you can you can bounce down, so right. you can do eight tracks, and then you see you've got the eight tracks, and then you can record that back down to one track, but you lose sound quality yeah. as you go. Yeah. But in the seventies, it really ramps up the technology. So by the eighties, you've got sixty-four track studios, one hundred and twenty-eight, whatever. But the Beatles only ever had four or eight tracks, and we were behind, and they were behind in Britain because in America they got eight tracks much sooner. So the Beatles for a long time were actually working with two tracks, and then four tracks for Sgt. Pepper, then I think they got eight tracks for Abbey Road, but. Fascinating. And as I say now, with like contemporary producers, again, particularly in things like uh, grime and hip hop, you've got the, the sort of visual aspects of, of making music where you're looking at the track on a screen yeah. and suddenly you can you can mould it, you can shape it. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, have you made? Have you ever made music on a digital audio I, I went around this was yeah. years ago when I was wearing uh, a top hat and tail work. I had a friend called Ashley who did like... Uh, jungle production and had like and that that's the first time I'd ever heard of Fruity Loops and yeah. he like took me around to his house and he was just like showing me how it worked and it just blew me away I had no idea whatsoever I'd never I'd never played an instrument properly never really listened to music or thought about music in that way and he was like showing me how he like puts beats in as I say just adjusting pitch and tempo and whatnot. but then as I say just sort of like and this is something I've, I've got a bit more aware of doing just basic audio editing for the show. Just sort of like zooming in on a sound wave. Yeah. And then just going into it at this tiny spot. Nizzy, crazy. And you can just sort of like take this millisecond and stretch it. Yeah. Or take this minute and crush it down. And it's just a remarkable... It's, it's a, a completely different way of thinking about music. Incredible. And of course what happens is, as you said, is that you get a lot of people who don't technically know how to use this software. But of course there's no mistakes with this stuff. Yeah. There's only different results. And because of the nature of the software, you always get interesting, musically speaking, results. It's amazing. What do you think of his beats, though? Have you listened, how much have you both listened to of his stuff? Uh, I listened to a couple of other tracks, um, just because I was like, oh, this isn't really the kind of uh, grime that I enjoy, has he done? Uh, but I do enjoy yeah. grime enough to sort of... And I didn't, nothing else really grabbed me. Yeah, I was the same. I listened to a couple of other things. It seems much more spare, much more... Like I said, yeah. much more in the trap kind of aesthetic, where it's... Boom, boom, boom. Rather than yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't what was you doing as their Skrillex <laughs> <laughs> but there is a Skrillexian quality to early grime it's like it's just teeming with this event that's just spilling over it's, it's like think of it visually on those programs where you will see you will see it stacked up in these ways and it's not quantized that early grime stuff it's just kind of thrown together and spastic almost but um, and it's also what's being sampled as well things like mm. breaking glass but then not just taking the sound of breaking glass, but then the sound of breaking glass, and then stretching it and playing yeah. with it, and incorporating it into these other spiky sounds. Which, of course, is a drum and bass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. kind of innovation. For me, a lot of hip hop kind of stands and falls on the on. It's funny we're calling it hip hop, by the way, because a lot yeah. of people wouldn't call this. No, I know. I've, this is something I personally. Um, I, I don't really understand why in America, if someone's rapping, you call it hip hop, whereas in Britain. If it's someone's rapping, you don't call it hip hop. I always whatever, think of it whatever genre the music is. The yeah, culture, well, grime, grime is a subgenre of UK hip hop for me. So when you say hip hop, I think that's perfectly legit. Yeah, but, I'm, yeah, I'm but, using but, it as an all encompassing. I, I, I would always call this grime. Like no one's calling Mike Skinner. Uh, no, but a lot of people Marley, call this essentially a rapper. Isn't he? A lot of people yeah. call this electronic dance music of a kind or electronic electro. So I'd something. never call it that. No, I mean if it's someone rapping on it, man. But, I mean? but two speed and um, two step and garage are in the hardcore continuum. Simon Reynolds' idea, and this very much emerges and drum and bass and jungle. So it's dance music, even though it's got people rapping over. Grime is part of that continuum. So I, I mean, I. I well, the trouble is you've got two different things that are going on. I mean, you've got music and you've got... Well, I mean, I know they're not, maybe not separable, but in a way you've got music yeah. and you've got rapping and the two things come together and the link from one goes to one place and the link mm-hmm. from the other one goes somewhere mm-hmm. completely different altogether. But I guess it's not particularly important, is it? But what I was going to say is to say like um, Rick Ross, Teflon Don, right, and that the ASAP Rocky mixtape that came out before the album. Like, two of my favourite hip-hop records... But neither of them have got particularly good rapping on them. 
you know what I mean? Like Red yeah, Ross yeah. has got some good stuff. Yeah, he's hardly like a, a no. dynamo, is he? <laughs> So do you know what I mean? And he's not like, got massive versatility to his flow. No, yeah, no I, I think right. they're both gr- like they're both great records. And like ASAP Rocky, I remember at the time saying this is really good, and people were going to me, "You can't rap to save his life," but, <laughs> and it turned out to be true. Like his stuff's not good. His, yeah, his yeah. subsequent stuff, but it don't really matter because it's a great track. Yeah, well, Run the Jewels. Sorry, go on. Yeah, we'll talk about Run the Run Jewels, the Jewels in a too. It's similar. It's like I don't. I, I mean, fair enough. Technically or musically speaking, the rapping is great, but. Some of the things they're saying aren't so savoury to me, but the music, oh my God. Mm. See, the environments the f- that they set up. I think that musically, I mean, LP's just ridiculous. Genius, had, yeah. One of my favourite producers yeah. of all time. Yeah. I think in terms of flow, the two of them, and LP, people overlook LP as a, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of time, and I think he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Similar to RZA. Yeah, I think they're yeah. both brilliant uh, vocalists that I people just don't talk about. Do you know, I, I don't know. There's certain... I don't think he's on LP's level, is he? No, no, no. But um, I, I, I think he's got a wonderful voice. No one sounds like Rizzo. I think he's got a wonderful tone. What do you think about his rapping, though? No, like, I, I outside do enjoy of the, the vocal performance, no, the I, other I, elements. I do enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. I like I like the wordplay. I think I think he's you know um, I'm not you know he's clearly a better producer than a rapper. But I think a lot of people write him off. Like himself a couple of years ago, he was like, "I'm retiring from rapping." He's back now, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> these things don't take. But um, I, I do tell what you mean about uh, the savoury nature of Jewels, but I think, and we're way off topic here and probably not kind of like this, but it, it, just to look to defend it, the whole, you know, run the jewels is an act of theft. The whole yeah. persona that they, they are on stage portraying is as criminals, as, and it is them I know, that's fine. exploding that too. Oh, oh look, I'm all, I'm all for, you know, violence against the state, but when it's, when it's about an exercise of male privilege, yes. which ends up reinforcing... A kind of a social status quo when it doesn't act the music is so skillful and kind of challenging so is the flow and so is some of what they're saying when they come to, and a lot of the album is filled with kind of just weirdly grunting male kind of impositions of kind of you know run backwards through a field of dicks and uh, dick in her mouth all day all that stuff i'm just kind of going oh, i'm bored with this it's so interesting on all the other levels and i hate i hate being the person who goes oh yeah but isn't it misogynist because that's a, almost a boring critique of rap music because it's 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 reducing it to something that it's it's a complicated kind of context so but anyway it's i will just quickly say run back with through three of is an incredible image it's a great uh, image, just to, just, like to, just as uh, you know, defend it as an act of writing. <laughs> so the point I was making, really, in a lot roundabout way, is that you, it's good, good or even great rapping is not enough. Yeah, to make for a, it yeah. a great track, it does not make <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> um, well flowed. Yeah. So, um, so I do think he's a good rapper, but. Yeah. The music has generally not grabbed me. I've only listened... I listened to about 10 tracks of a record. So, I, you know, I can't... You know, I'm probably not best placed even. Uh, but I was listening to a track he did called 97. And I'm cleaning this up. Efferies. And that had a kind of... That had a real urgency about it. Oh, I haven't it. heard that one. A lot of energy on there. And that was, that, that was really strong. So I'm going to delve back into his, um, mm. his discography. But I just feel like he was sort of hampered by unspectacular beats a little bit. But I'm open to changing that if I hear some good stuff. Track four, Humphrey Littleton and his band, Bad Penny Blues. Released on Parlophone, 10 inch 78 and a 7 inch 45. Pretty standard uh, revolution for me and uh, size of record, I believe. <laughs> he studied at Campbell School of Art in, from 1946 to 1948. Illustration, I reckon. I'm not 100% on that. And if you go on his website, you can buy prints of sort of scribbles that he's done of like a Spike Milligan standard. Well, I've got some information relating to his time at Campbell that's not directly related to music. In, in fact, it's completely undirected towards music. But it very, is quite interesting. Um, while he was at Campbell, he met a guy called Wally Fawkes, um, and the two of them put together Fluke, which became a, a, a sort of huge 
uh, cult hit within newspaper strips. It was a very sort of satirical, political thing. Um, and just to sort of reference it back to previous episodes, Lord Herc, a guest on the show previously, um, Wally Fawkes' pen name was in the show, was Trog. And one of the reasons Herc is called Herc it's because Wally Fawkes had the name Trog and he liked the idea. He thought that's what you did if you were an illustrator. Yeah. You got yourself a four-letter name. <laughs> Sounds a bit weird. So if he's Trog, I'll be Herc. Um, yeah, and that's a, a, a relationship and partnership that emerged from his time at Canberra. Wally Fawkes was a jazz clarinetist as well, so it wasn't completely unrelated to music. But Yeah, I don't think he's on this particular performance. I don't know. No, he's not. No, no, he's okay. not. But yeah, I mean, I guess that shows the uh, many strengths to Littleton's bow. Presented, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, from 1972 to 2008, when he died, I guess, well, around that time. I was working at Waterstones at the time. Most notable thing, are you going to say this, about Radiohead? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, most... Well, no, it's it's where I knew him from, (laughs) first time I came across him. Well, I think he had his autobiography out while I was working at Waterstones, but yeah, he's on um, Living in a Glass House. Yeah. Uh, the Radiohead track Closer isn't it off of uh, Amnesiac, Amnesiac and yeah. it's a f- phenomenal track, yeah. uh, track isn't it and he plays the trumpet on it as he does on most of his tracks <laughs> no he plays clarinet as well doesn't he yeah mostly trumpet though, isn't it but yeah that's brilliant isn't it I mean you'd love to have had that on but this Bad Penny Blues was his big hit mm. bit of boogie boogie piano from Johnny Parker who's from Beckenham Steve so right. you know, I know you're keen to get the outskirts of London <laughs> on the podcast Pretty standard stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah. was my take on it. I was like, oh, this is just a jazz track. There was nothing how, yeah. that I really got... I don't know how to talk about a skeleton, you know? I don't know how right, to talk yeah. about just a, a basic convention of Them dry a lot of music. <laughs> no, but it's like, they're playing a couple of standard things that you would... You, you, I was going to say, is this a compositional? Is this a standard that they... He's use? credited as the writer. Right. But it's right. just a ragtime... Yeah, Dixieland sort of... Yeah, it's a... It's a, it's a yeah, it's a Dixieland, essentially, piano line. Boogie Woogie, you know, that kind of... Yeah. It's just a formula, and then he's playing on top of it, and it kind of removes all the kind of risk and danger of the jazz that it's coming from. So, you know, hot jazz, early Louis Armstrong, Sidney Bechet. What's hot jazz? Like? Hot jazz, like Hot Five, Hot Seven, they're Louis Armstrong's groups. It was called hot jazz. It was right, just right. the era before swing. So, you know, swing, jazz. it becomes much more in suits. They're all in the big band. They're playing off music. Hot jazz is much more in a club. They're all kind of playing at the same time. Maybe a cravat. Much more... Away from trad jazz, isn't it? That was the thing. It was, no, but it was... this is trad jazz because it's hot oh. jazz. Trad oh, jazz right. comes Sorry. later. Yeah, yeah. Trad jazz is a retconning of of or Dixieland jazz and ragtime. So trad jazz is a is a retronym. It's a retronym. Well, it's kind. No, well, kind of. Yeah. No, it's not a retronym. It's not <laughs> retronym because it's not referring to an earlier referent. Oh, it's referring it's to yeah, 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 to yeah, a yeah. ghostly afterimage, which is not you know. So so I'm yeah. looking for retronyms though. See if I can introduce one. It's a retcon though. It is a retconning of 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 that music, which is really rough and risky and lively. You know, trumpet solo, um, someone clarinetting behind, drums going, piano going, guitar maybe. It's really really rough and exciting. Everyone's going at it. People are probably dancing in front of them. This is just dead. This is the uh, Jules Holland's Hootenanny intro. This is Jules. <laughs> this, is, this is a Hollandizing of, of blackness, essentially. That's all right. We won't slag off. We're not going to slag off Jules Holland. I was going to say. Chris Difford's going on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. I was like, oh, Jules Holland. I was like, don't go, don't go too deep on screen, guys. <laughs> but it does seem to be just anemic, doesn't it? I mean, not to, not to just... It's, it's fine for what it is, but... Yeah, it didn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't tapping my thought along there. There was nothing that sort of, like, livened me up listening to it. It's jazz for, for, for you know, British establishment. I was listening to it going, oh, right, uh, Campbell School of Art is where he met <laughs> Wally yeah. Fawkes and there he did Fluke. I was well, getting I was, excited I was that. listening to it mostly going, Lady in Madonna, baby at your breast. Yeah. Is, is, he get, is he getting that from that, Paul McCartney, or just from the fact that it sounds like everything else? I think... Paul McCartney is probably getting that more from American popular music than like R&B and stuff. R&B. <laughs> um, rather than kind of boogie-woogie. I don't know, though. He, he did listen widely, didn't he? So I don't think he would have been getting it from Humphrey Littleton, although they were kind of quite popular in Britain, so I'm sure it filtered in there somehow. But Lady Madonna's much more lively, and that's one of the more problematic Beatles tracks, it seems to me. <laughs> Lady Madonna. <laughs> was, we started joining. We did. That's like let it be. <laughs> Whisper words of wisdom, Lady Madonna. 
<laughs> Track five, Pink Floyd, See Emily Play. Emily tries but misunderstands She's often inclined to borrow somebody's dreams till tomorrow Floyd wasn't he for that first record Piper to get to dawn and some singles like this one um, it's extraordinary really when you think these bands keep the band, same band name but it, you know yeah. the journey they went on from one, album one to album two let alone to you know <laughs> album ten or whatever new one coming out next year is it no it just came out oh did it yeah, yeah. Ago. Um, yeah it's pretty good right. I mean it's heavily kind of designed it's heavily kind of constructed. Like, it's David Gilmore kind of building this odyssey, which is... Uh, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. Well, I mean, Sid Barrett is dead now. He um, left Pink Floyd in... Although he wasn't always dead. No, that's correct, isn't it? That's correct. There was a period when he was, in fact, alive. No, but when I grew up, I thought he was dead, the way he was written about Yeah, him. I kind of... Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe I did know this and forgot it. But when I was... I was like, oh, well, he obviously died in 1970. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we died in 2008 yeah. or whatever it was. He um, he looks a lot like, uh, by the time he was old, he looked a lot like the Michael Jackson character in The Simpsons, though, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He drew the train on the cover of the single. Have you seen the, the cover artwork? I don't have actually, no. Very sort of childish drawing yeah. of it, obviously deliberately so. But um, yeah, just sort of showing uh, what a dominant presence he was. He's like, just like, I'll do the artwork. Oh, yeah. I'll do, you know, I'll do everything. So it goes from being this guy who's literally doing the lot to out of the band. Yeah. What does everyone think of uh, the song? No, Piper at the Gates of Dawn first. Piper at the Gates of Dawn to me is just incomparably amazing psychedelic rock from the heart of whatever beautiful naivety and, and kind of, you know, failure to grasp the world that's possible in pop music. This kind of gets there. You know, I just love it. It's always been a really important album for me. I just love it. Love it so much. And this song as well. Yeah, it's just got a kind of a, I don't know, it's got a kind of an unknowability to it, which is lovely. Great riffs. It's I've never been I've written that down. I think it's really good. Yeah. This song. The song and the album, I, I, you know, it, yeah, I really like it, but ne- never listen to it a lot or regularly. I'm, I find him as a singer a tad annoying. Yeah. I, what I hear when I listen to him, particularly with his solo stuff, you know, with with uh, oh, Piper the Gates of Dawn so and this, there's a lot of rock kind of yeah. uh, musicianship going mm-hmm. on, so it kind of gets a bit, you know, it distracts from it. But when it's just him and the guitar and that voice, you know, that kind of s- silly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 what I'm hearing there is what other people hear when they listen to Pete Doherty, I think. I see, yeah. Uh, there is a bit of a British kids TV presenter about it. Yeah, yeah, big time. I had to turn it off in the end. Yeah. What's the record called? Mad Cap Labs. Yes. But I can't, I personally, I just can't get there. I can't judge it from any kind of objective uh, vantage point because it's just, when I was a teenager, I just got really into this. And I'm really into the magic and the myth of it as well. So, so I never listened to it as a teenager. Really, been the last five, ten years. Yeah, me, sort of listened to it in any sort of regular way. Mm. My dad's not a, uh, a Pink Floyd fan, so like all the kind of classic rock, if you want, that I listened to growing up was like there's a, the stuff my dad liked, like the Beatles and Dylan and the Stones and you know various other things. But so I've missed out on Pink Floyd a bit, and I feel like I've sort of it's an odyssey I ought to go on. Really. Oh, definitely, because because you got this stuff, and then you got a whole other world of yeah. stuff afterwards, which is. So rich and so layered and so complicated. Roger Waters' anxieties and madness 
you know, there's, there's real, there's real different versions of madness going on throughout the history of Pink Floyd, which obviously makes for really interesting listening. Do you know about the slide guitar on this song? They do it with a plastic ruler. My best way, I find. It's quite removed from what I imagine of yeah. Pink Floyd, where it's very sort of complicated and complex. And oh no, this stuff is not. Yeah, there's a rough yeah. readiness about. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I really like about yeah, it. Yeah, and in the recording as well, isn't there? There's a definite charms the whole thing, isn't there? Definitely, yeah. I'd say the first time I ever came across this track, and I thought it was really bad at the time. Like, I'll tell you why, because of this context. In, um, in summer to, uh, 1997, Mojo did their top oh, yeah. 100 or so yeah. singles of all time. And then in December 97, the reader's list came in, and you always got to remember that the reader's list is a reaction to the, the yeah. regular list of things get voted higher and stuff. But this was voted the ninth best single of all time. And I just couldn't get my head around it. Really? Yeah. Shall I give you a quick rundown on the top ten? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, number ten, Tin Soldier. Uh, nine, see how many play. Just quickly, I don't know what Tin Soldier is. Is it Small Faces? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Never heard of um, it. Eight, Three. No Woman, No Cry. Seven, Hey Jude, Slash Revolution. Eight, Eight Miles High. The Birds. Yeah. Five, All Along the Watchtower. Bob Dylan. Well, it would have been the Hendrix version. Oh, I've blown it. Four, Like a Rolling Stone. Three good vibrations, two Waterloo Sunset, number one Strawberry Fields slash Penny Lane. That was Lane. the most Mojo esque list ever. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's because Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane somehow didn't make it in. But on the in the what? Mojo list, I think God Only Knows was number one. Nice. And there was another. What's the other? Um, they didn't have uh, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane anywhere in their top. I don't think they did. Kids. I think it was like a massive oversight. Right. They had another Beach Boys song in the top. Uh, what would it have been? One, um, a get around. Yeah, I think it was. That was that lovely period where Beach Boys and Brian Wilson were kind of weirdly prominent and critical. Yeah. There were rumours of a new album. Yeah, was it all, autumn 1997, wasn't it? No, but there was a few years where they were the ones who were getting the top album of all time in those lists, and there seemed to be a kind of a critical rescuing or something. We're halfway through the record, about to flip it over. It's not a 78, Steve, it's a uh, 33 and a third revolutions per minute. Use the Amazon link on southlandhardware.com to do all your shopping. Every time you spend £10 or sign up for an Amazon Prime free trial, you can have a free badge of us. I just used the Amazon link yesterday and it made my experience extra pleasurable. T-shirts available as well. Nice range of different styles and designs. Yep, follow us on Twitter at SLHC, Instagram the same. Our playlist will continue next week. Side 2 will be the following week's episode just after Christmas. We'll see you then. I had a bit for the intro that I ended up cutting. I was going to compare myself to Sid Barrett, Steve to Roger Waters, and then you to Dave Gilmore. What a lot basis. Like I was sort of dominating the early part of the show, all the introduction. <laughs> then Steve, Steve will make a few points, and then you'll just sort of take it to another... <laughs> Is Roger Waters not a good one to be? I don't know. I don't know.